Welcome back to Women of AB Poly. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell McLean. And I am her half vaxxed as of today co host, <laughs> Kathleen Smith, AKA Kiki Planet. I'm and so excited. <laughs> you should be excited. I am. Yeah. And and my and my daughter tested positive for COVID yesterday. So we're on opposite sides of the joy <laughs> spectrum here. <laughs> Um, but we also have a show to do. We do. And, you know, dear Dre, before we start, I just want to um, send some gratitude out to Face Ginch at Joey Wants on Twitter because she sent us, she sent one for Deirdre and one for me, these lovely face masks. No one, no one listening to this podcast can see it, <laughs> but our guests can see it on camera. So this is the lovely face mask. It says, I'm speaking in <laughs> honor of Camelot. And it's even in the rainbow flag colors. Yeah. And I love it very much. So follow at Joey Wants. She is the face ginch queen and we love her masks and uh despite the fact that we're rolling out those vaccines and we're all getting that good juice in our arms we're still going to be needing masks for some time so definitely follow joey and look at her selection and give her the love yeah that's awesome thank you so much kathleen i haven't been to the mail I don't know when the last time I went and got the mail was. So anyway, so mine may be there. I just said, uh, yes, I kind of forgot. Um, but we have a couple of guests with us today. We are going to have a conversation about the Conservative Party of Canada. And this actually, I mean, for me, I've been doing this, you know, having this conversation, at least in my head for a really long time. Um, but Jen Sanford does a podcast called Conservative Like Me. But welcome, Jen. <laughs> that mute button gets me every yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. I feel honored to be nominated for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but the other guest that we have with us today is Susan Elliott. Susan is a conservative strategist. She uh, has a fairly solid history in. Well, the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, for sure. I know I got some of her buttons. Um, Welcome, Susan. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here and talk about one of my favorite subjects. Right, right. And thank you both for coming into what some conservative women would consider the lion's den. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just want to applaud your courage. Oh, I brought my whip. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm hearing the roar. So, <laughs> uh, so let's start with. Um, we were talking, Jen. Let's let's go back to conservative like me, the podcast, because you you started this for a really good reason. Yeah, I mean, no matter how far I go out in the world, I I seem to keep realizing how how quintessentially Canadian I am. <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm repping it for Canada, no matter where I went, um, no matter where I go. So I, you know, when I graduated um, from Johns Hopkins, I, I, I went to Vancouver and thought, okay, like, what's next? Like, what's next for me? And I had always believed that there would be 
something in the political space. I mean, I was that kid who on the first day of kindergarten gave this, you know, rousing presentation about Ronald Reagan. And <laughs> it just was like this weird kid from day one who loved politics. And, um, you know, I, I've always said, and I will always say that, you know, everything I am and everything I have is because of the political courage of, of people who have run for office and, and made decisions, uh, what I think have, have largely been in my best interest. So, you know, I, I graduate from Hopkins, go to Vancouver. I, I find myself across from Andrew Shear, and he says, you know, would you, would you consider running for this party? And of course, you, like, you dream about the scenario going over and over in your mind of someone saying, like, would you like to take a run at the House of Commons? And I found myself sitting across from him and saying, not for you, not, not you. And I was shocked. And, and so then I went down this. <laughs> I didn't mean hole. to say that. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Don't take that with a grain of salt. And so then I, then really what happened was like this, this vortex of an existential crisis of like, what is the problem here? Like, why am I looking at a conservative party that doesn't look like me, even though I know I'm extraordinarily ordinary. Like when people poll people on issues, I'm right in the middle. I'm a pollster's dream. And yet I'm looking at a political party that does not look at like me at all. And, you know, I, I, I just sat at home and <laughs> just thought like, what is the problem here? And so I just started to talk about it um, with my father and who has long been, um, you know, a political, you know, he made me weird in the political space. So, he <laughs> And we just started talking about like, why doesn't this party look like me? And are there people out there that are conservative like me and don't even know it? Like they go to vote and they don't even know that they could actually be conservative. And I even argue that people who, who are under the red banner of the Liberal Party are actually conservative. They just can't get that far right. And so I just said, what happens if we just sat down and made a podcast where we just talked about issue by issue? And rather than being you know, a podcast where we were critical of leadership and, and, and really talked about the people, why don't we actually just talk about policy? And, and the other part of it is that I really wanted to, you know, stretch my policy muscles. I mean, I went to Hopkins, Harvard, and Oxford. I want to talk about policy. And, and so thus became conservative like me. And I just put it out there with no advertising. I paid for it by myself. I still pay for it all by myself. And I just thought, is there somebody out there who thinks, yeah, this is, this is, the, this is where we can safely unpack all these issues and so that's sort of the genesis of conservative like me. It's just me really in crisis about who I am and where I fit in the political spectrum, covering it with policy and bringing it to the public. Susan, how did you start out? <laughs> Susan, what do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm a little older than Jen, and I got involved in 1976 uh, on the campaign of Flora McDonald, who was running for the leader of the Conservative Party. And in 1976, having a woman in the race uh, was was pretty unusual, and it was a lot of fun, and she did surprisingly well, and yeah. uh, she threw her support to Joe Clark, and she was kind enough to recommend me to Joe as someone that he would like to keep in the party, and, and another little history lesson there, you may remember that one of the issues of the day was that Joe Clark was married to a woman who was not only a practicing lawyer, but kept her own name when she got married. Yes. I'm and old enough to remember, Susan. That's I right. I remember and it was just, can, can she even be the wife of the prime minister? Can exactly. she serve in that role? Because she's, she's a little too feminist for Canada. Yeah. 
And so you think back to that and you compare that to the little story Jen just told about how she wouldn't be able to run for Andrew Shear. And uh, I uh, worked in a downtown urban riding in the last election. I worked for Greg McLean in Calgary Centre. And one of the two or three major issues we got at the door was Andrew Shear and his position on women's reproductive rights and his position on equality for LGBTQ plus people. And I thought to myself, have we really come any distance at all? Or have we in fact gone backwards from those trailblazing days when I first got involved in the Conservative Party to today where I'm standing on a doorstep still talking about our party's position on reproductive rights and equality for yeah. all. And, and it really makes me wonder if this is still a good home for me. I have to be honest about that. I mean, and we are not going to win another election until Canadians start to think of us as being in sync with their current values. Yeah, I we agree talk. with that. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. The first season of this episode is really in the vein of that, which is we need to get in step with the with the momentum of Canadians. I call it electoral dysfunction. It's meaningful to me to hear someone with the pedigree that Susan has say the words, I'm still not sure if I fit in this party um, because I, I'm approaching it of the place where uh, I completely agree with that statement. I, I just feel that, you know, the conservative party currently in their policy platform, it's like looking for their keys in the dark. They're just looking where the light is. But the reality is, is that your keys are with the majority of Canadians where you haven't put any light. I mean, there's so much of this political spectrum available to you, and yet we're dogged by the same five issues all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm sorry, Kathleen. Go do ahead. you um, it, do you see people within the party trying to drag the party forward? I I see um, someone like Michelle Rempel, who I do feel has actually tried on several issues to kind of drag the party forward and, and is and has been successful yeah. in some areas and uh, definitely is a, a warrior on the front line for doing that. But it almost seems as though for every Michelle Rempel, there's four Derek Sloans. Yeah. Do you find that as well? Susan, yeah. do you find that, you know, every step forward, we've got four men dri dragging us back. <laughs> Well, not necessarily men, let's be clear. Yeah, not just um, men. There, there are some women in the Conservative Party as well whose values are not in sync with mine, and that's fine. And that I don't want this to become political science 101, but, but you will know that there are in Canada things called brokerage parties, and they are parties that are supposed to represent a broad spectrum of opinion. Um, and uh, typically they are the Liberal and the Conservative parties. And then you have, you have more narrowly focused parties, the NDPs, the Greens, and so on. And a brokerage party is supposed to broker uh, a wide range of opinions. Now, what has happened to the Conservative Party over the last number of years, and we go back now to the Mulroney days, is there were a number of people in the Conservative Party who decided that they would rather be more purist in their views, even if it meant they didn't win. And they split apart that brokerage party. And then they said, well, we have to put it back together again because we can't win. 
So they put it back together again. And then the people who are purists broke off again. And this cycle is going round and round. And until we can come to some agreement that we are a brokerage party, and if you're not prepared to try and represent the broad spectrum of Canadian opinions, then you need to go and form your own fringe party and stay there. Um, and so far that hasn't happened. And, and here we are in Alberta, uh, not to go off into provincial politics, but uh, so the same thing happens in Alberta right. and Jason Kenney brings us all back together again. And then in the last two or three days, we have seen now 18 MLAs go, actually, no, I'm not <laughs> yeah. comfortable in this brokerage party. Which isn't surprising because really uh, conservative politics in Alberta are almost a, a microcosm of our federal conservative politics, in yeah. in my opinion, at least, because we are the heartland of conservatism in this nation. It, I think we really see it on a smaller scale in Alberta. Yeah. But it is from... not representative of Alberta voters. No, that's it's not. Right. And, yeah. and, I'll, I, and I'm going to let Jen talk here in a second. I don't want to dominate. But um, back in 2008, I was doing some work with Don Getty. Pardon me, uh, Ed Stelmack, forgive me, uh, with uh, Mr. Stelmack. And I did some deep dive polling because I wanted to know how deep goes the social conservative values in this province. This is 2008, more than 10 years ago. And what I learned is that there is indeed a fairly deep vein of social conservatism, which we could identify as discomfort with LGBTQ marriages, for example, and with women, women's reproductive rights. But... The important question I asked was not, what is your opinion? The important question was, do you think government should intervene in order to support that opinion? And 75 to 80% of people said, nope, it's none of government's business. It's, it's not my neighbor's business. It's my business what I do. It's not my business what you do. And so even here in Alberta, we have that very deep vein of opinion that Whatever I think about those issues, it's not my place to impose them on you. And that is what the social conservative wing of the conservative party fails to understand is that people are not going to vote for us if we continue to leave them with the impression that we will tell them what to do. Jen shaking her head. Jen is shaking her head. I, I, I don't think she's disagreeing with me. No, she's she's just in awe of hearing it come right yeah, back yeah. at her. I just, I feel like I just want to lay down and cry. I feel like Susan is my spirit animal in the political space. Um, uh, here's the thing is, uh, this is me screaming at the television when Aaron O'Toole is speaking at the convention because he's laying out this five-point plan and I'm like, that's super fantastic to have an action plan. I appreciate these five things and, and we can hit well, like four of the five things and I can hinge my hat on them. But you need to now tell me what the vision of this party is. You need to start yeah. talking about what we are and what we are not and what we will stand for. We need to make it very, very clear that that there are incredible headwinds about about how the, the fringe has been able to speak for the mass and, mm-hmm. and allowing people to say, yeah, but like that was, that has been Aaron O'Toole's whole thing is I can apply every single thing he says and add yeah, but on the end, you know, this whole familiarization campaign, you know, here's my wife, here's my, you know, how I love my mother. Here's my two dogs. And I'm like, yeah, but 
yeah, but people have all these preconceived <laughs> notions about what you are. And then he gives this policy speech. And at the end of it, all I'm thinking is, yeah, but there needs to be this. And it's, and it's not a vision. I, I, I think I'm past it being a vision. I think it, it has to be like this, this, this mantra and a, and a new drumbeat that says that, that this is, these are the hills we're going to die on. And this is what we're willing to let go. And I will do the adaptive leadership in between. Yeah, right. And it's just a, it's just a ferocity that I'm, that I'm missing. Um, that do you it, find it just frustrates that me. the social conservative faction of the party has actually become more powerful since Harper's left? Have you found that? Is it that they they have more say in the direction of the party or is it that media singles them out and pays more attention to them and makes those extremists sort of the faces of the CPC? Well, I think it's, I think a, little it's a little bit of, of those things. Both. Yeah. <laughs> Ken and I yeah go ahead, Susan. Thing. Um, I think the point I would make about Aaron O'Toole is that I think he believes in women's reproductive rights. I believe he believes in climate change. I believe that he honestly believes in the equality of all. But this whole party has been so bitten by our recent history, the last 20 years of, of breaking apart, that he is afraid to let the party break apart. And his mechanism for preventing that is giving a fairly long leash to the social conservatives in our caucus. And, and they are both men and women. Let's be clear. There are both men and women uh, who represent these views. And their views are completely valid. They're entitled to have those views, except that from an electoral point of view, they actually chase votes away rather than attracting them. But I believe that, that Aaron is gun-shy about them walking just before an election. And he is working really, really hard to keep them. But the problem is that in working so hard to keep them, he's actually alienating a broader group of voters who are sitting there going, I detest that little, I was just about to use a bad word. I detest that little buddy who is uh, currently our prime minister, but yeah, but, I'm afraid of the conservatives. I'm afraid that that social conservative faction will continue to be the tail wagging the dog. So I'm either going to stay home or I'm going to bite my lip and go out and vote for Trudeau as much as as I really don't feel he's done a good job. I needed water. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for Jen to go in and go, yeah, but. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've, I've decided I'm going to yield the remainder of my time to Susan. (laughs) I, you know, I, I really resonate with everything that she's saying, which is that we're, you know, you really are trying to hold the party together um, when you're, you're doing, you're consciously doing so at the sacrifice of what I'm calling and trademarking center spectrum conservatives who are eager and ready for something different, who also don't see themselves reflected in either of the dominant parties. Well, and that's, so that's been a big thing. We've been having this conversation provincially. We're definitely having the conversation federally as well. And, and the thing is that I know you're not alone because I'm hearing these conversations going on on a regular basis. And as much as, you know, talking about where do I fit 
uh, politically, because I do listen to both sides on a regular basis. So when I see someone say something like, so just vote liberal, and I'm like, you don't, (laughs) they're not, they're not going to just vote liberal. That's, that's not actually an option. That's like telling someone who's, you know, a really hardcore liberal to just vote conservative. That's not how that works. So as someone who has tried to figure out my what space I really occupy as well. Um, you know, I keep coming back to this and this could be a, this could be that center spectrum kind of perspective again, where it's like, but I just want to go to the polls and I want to say, I want to be biting my nails because I'm not sure which one is the best for me because my options are so grand this is this is what would be ideal for me. I, I don't like the idea that you could go to the poll and say, well, I'm voting for these people. Like, yeah, I'm fighting for the soul it. of this country. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm fighting for the soul of this country. And if and if my candidate doesn't win, I'm, I'm moving or I'm going mm-hmm. down into the bunker. It's it's this is this has been a big thing is that, you know, yes, I'm conservative. Yes, I would like to see the conservative party form government. Yes, I want to see them grow into their full potential. But the the best thing that's going to happen when all of those things come true is that you're going to give the other parties a run for their money. You make yes. one party great. You make all the party gr- parties great. And us as Canadians, I mean, we're we're a small little country, big land mass, small amount of people. We are deserving of an incredible two party system where people legitimately go to the polls and, and sweat it out. And I know that potential is there. Yeah. Maybe I'm a Peter Pan of politics, but. One of the challenges we have, and I I hope I'm not straying too far off topic, is attracting good people to run. And um, I'm not going to blame the internet because here we are on it ourselves. (laughs) Um, But it has become very difficult to be an elected official. Um, the, uh, the, the, The snooping or nosiness into your personal life, um, the, the, uh, the attacks on your family, um, and uh, the attacks on yourself, um, the inability to say anything without it being parsed and attacked and circulated. And, you know, somebody finds a snippet of video that they take out of context, and that goes viral. And so it is getting very, very hard to attract good people. Now, back in the 2000 election, one of my jobs for the Progressive Conservative Party was to attract candidates. And one of the things I really wanted to do was to attract women candidates, not because it's 2015 and we should meet some kind of quota, but because it was... Ouch, Susan. (laughs) I took that a little personally. (laughs) Um, But because I just think that it's better government if you have a wide diversity of people, um, of one of which is gender, another which is color, another which is gender diversity, all of those things. But back in 2000, gender was the thing. And women were telling me all of the different reasons why they weren't going to run. And I heard them all. Uh, and there was a range of, of things, you know, like the unpredictability of the schedules and things like that, how much time they would have to spend in Ottawa, uh, all kinds of things like that. But possibly the one I heard most was, I would be interested in a collaborative leadership position. I would be interested in going to Ottawa and working with people from across the spectrum to solve the real problems that we have. I am not interested in going to Ottawa and spending my day thinking up new insults for the guy across the aisle. Yeah. 
Yeah, see, we see that a lot women here. Be leaders. Well, but it's also why we aren't. Yeah. I mean, that's the catch twenty-two, right? Is that we're we're still existing within um, this political framework, and it's even worse now that requires us to be attack dogs instead of being collaborators. You know, yeah. instead of being part of the solution, so much time has to be spent a- attacking our opponent. And I think now when we throw in things like, um, you know, the, the CPC is still struggling with LGBTQ2IA plus equality. They're still struggling on the women's reproductive rights issues. They're struggling on climate change. I think perhaps some of some of those policy issues also turn off potentially great candidates yeah. because who really wants to stand on doorsteps and explain why the oh, party yeah. is so behind the times? What, what woman in her childbearing years wants to explain why she's okay with the people in her party who want to roll back abortion rights? I mean, I, I think the burden for women as candidates is also different than the burden on men too. I think you're also skipping over a step. Like I don't disagree with both of those things. And, and in my circles, that's certainly something that we're talking about, but then there's also the, the other type of, of female potential candidate that I think struggles to, to, to find her way for me. You know, I, I'm very interested in going to Ottawa and being a, a voice for what I think is the momentum of Canada. I'm not interested in, in slinging insults. You're absolutely right, Susan. I'm looking for a collaborative, um, for a collaborative outcome. I want to talk about things like climate-based human migration as part of our immigration program. I want to talk about our relationship with China and the fact that, you know, we, if there's ever been a time to be bipartisan, it's to bring two Canadian men home. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And those things are very important to me. And so, you know, you go down the process, you, you get into your local EDA and you have this, there's a striking moment. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And I say, I'm proud to be conservative, but my, the hill that I will die on and the issue that means so much to me is medical assistance in dying. I think it's a human right, not a political issue. And I will not be dissuaded. And oh my God, you could hear a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. And then you're out of the EDA in five minutes, right? You're out. You're out because you're, you're, and you know, people came to my house to pray for my well being. That's how thought out of, out of lockstep they thought I was on this issue. And here you have someone like me. I'm prepared to sacrifice a family. I'm prepared to sacrifice long days and long nights. I'm prepared to do the work uh, to be a, you know, a stateswoman in Ottawa uh, to, to grind and, and to bring real progress and to be an, a, an ally to, to my own party and, and to parties on the other end. And I can't get to the gate because I'm aligned with 82% of Canadians polled on this issue. That's phenomenal that here you are standing with the majority, what the majority wants, and too many in your party refuse to see that because they're still beholden to this tiny faction within the party. And then in the long run, that tiny faction kind of ends up representing your party in Holy. The big picture. Yeah. They don't really yeah. represent your party, but they they hold the levers of power. Exactly. And they, get, and they get the headlines and people start to think that that's who we are. Yeah, and that's right. That's why we're not 
going to win an election. I mean, I, I was reading an interview with a, a fellow who went on to become a liberal member of parliament, and he was first approached by the conservatives. And he laughed in their face and he said, do you really think that I could represent a party that doesn't support climate change, women's reproductive rights, medical assistance and dying and so on? And he reeled off a bunch of them. What he doesn't know, and most Canadians don't know, is that the vast majority of conservative voters stand exactly where he stands on those issues. But we have allowed our brand to be stolen by the combination of a very vocal group of people who care passionately about their issues. But because they are out of step, they get the headlines because the headline is always man bites dog, not dog bites man, right? I mean, how many times do you see a headline that says plane lands safely, right? So the people that get the headlines are the people who are advocating for the minority position. And until we get a grip on that, we may as well not start measuring the curtains at 24 Sussex. It's a solid point. I I can't even find anything to argue with about that, Susan. You know what? I can't believe I'm on with Kiki Planet and I can't find something to argue with. I know. (laughs) I think we might even be letting our collective audience down. (laughs) But this is a this is a difficult and especially especially in Alberta, because we because we are seeing something very similar happen provincially. So this is, I think it's hitting us very, very hard. When you see that the government is willing to, you know, put through legislation that has 16% support, this worries people, right? When, when you have the majority of, and now I'm not saying that, uh, because the, something that I do really fully believe is that if you're affected by something, then policy should be made that affects you and is best for you, not for everybody else who's not even affected by it. So, I mean, I I guess you can say that this was something that was necessary because there were some people who really thought that this should be supported by the government. And and you can look at it that way and say, okay, so now they've got this. But, But it's not just that. This is on so many different issues where you're seeing this this minority of of people who support it and and they're big things right it is our cpp it is our provincial police force instead of rcmp now i live in rural so i know that people city dwellers <laughs> might be all like there's nothing wrong with a with a you know a, a dedicated police force um i've i've always i always had rcmp that's that's my police force. I thought it was weird that you guys had like, you know, special ones in in the cities. <laughs> like, what is up with that? Um, but I, so so I, that may be mine. I just but I just gonna... fangirled weirdly. So we'll just move along. <laughs> but if we're, but if we're going to talk about Jason Kenney, I think we have to talk about I think we have to extrapolate the leader from 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 the policy decisions that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be interested to see if Susan agrees with me on this. So so bear with me. Uh, I think so as a PR person, I know that, uh, that, that being a public figure is just like, is just like running a bank. You have, you have public trust and confidence is like de- deposits and withdrawals at a bank. And, and Jason Kenney has taken a significant number of withdrawals and not enough deposits. So he's overdrawn as the leader. And so 
the compounding issue to that is something that Susan talked about earlier before, which is how absolutely difficult it is to govern in a world where everybody has a platform to be a critic. And when you see the headwinds that he faces, it actually becomes very little surprise to me that he would just pivot right to his base and say, okay, well, if I can't, if you're not even going to come to the table and play in the sandbox with me, then I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to try to pivot and amplify my base. And so I, I, I think that when you look at the, the Kenny leadership, which I don't think you can, you can have the same conversation about what would be O'Toole's current position mm-hmm. or, or, or what's happening at the federal level. I, I think what you're really seeing is just a leader who has said, listen, there's no mobilization for me to be successful. I'm going to pivot to my, to my home base. And that's why you're seeing, you know, every possible stakeholder group disappointed and not willing to do a deal with them. I mean, look at, look at their deal with doctors. I, I think that might've been an okay deal, but it's a deal with Jason Kenney. And so then it's not a good deal. And yeah. so Susan, what do you think on that? Well, I think what you're starting to touch on is the role of personality in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Jason Kenney's biggest problems is that he's hard to like. Um, and, and, you know, and then uh, Tyler Shandro has a little bit of, of that as well. Um, you know, when you go and stand in someone's driveway and shout at them, it's really hard to to like someone like that. Aaron O'Toole is pretty likable, but he's up against this really cuddly kid that everybody likes. And, you know, he may not be the smartest knife in the drawer, but he cares and, and he's got great hair and, and you really get and those the sense socks, that the, socks. Those socks, the socks, the socks, and pretty. you really get the sense in fairness, not to mock him, I think you genuinely get the sense that he wants to do the right thing. And maybe he didn't study ethics in university, but, but, but he really wants to do the right thing. He really wants to help people. He really wants, you know, and he he just maybe lacks some of the skills, but you like him. He's, you know, I mean, I've seen some polling that shows that, you know, they may think he's doing a shitty job or very poor job, but, but they like him. Now, Aaron O'Toole, they don't even know him. Um, that's and, right. And that's a problem. And Jason Kenny, <laughs> they know him, but they don't actually like him. Um, you know, we I know him to, too well, Susan. Well, that's maybe that's part of the it. problem. I've talked to some of my friends who are ministers in that government, and they will concede privately that the problem their government is having is one of tone. Um, and I tend to agree with that. They've actually done some of the right things. They quibble over this or that or the other thing. But on the whole, they actually haven't done a bad job of governing. It's just they're really hard to like. Um, and in this day of fragmented over-communication, over-information, ordinary folks can't sort through it all at all. And, and we fall back on who do you like, who do you trust? Yeah, and even then, un- also- unlikability isn't it's not necessarily the coffin in someone's political life, right? I mean, the (laughs) nail in the political coffin. I, I don't, I never thought that Stephen Harper was particularly likable. He's not a warm, fuzzy person. He can uh, seem quite cold and quite the intellectual. However, I think that people were more willing to forgive the unlikability factor because they did trust him. Yeah, they found him to be effective. Yeah. They found him to be a strong leader. Now, whether uh, whether I agree with that or not, what did he serve this country? Twelve years as PM, I think it was nine. nine? I don't know. 
I, it's all a haze, but <laughs> he, he still uh, had a, a quality about him that said leadership, yeah. that said yeah. we could trust him to stand up for our country. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The challenge so, so tool will be, can he, can he demonstrate to us what hills he'll die on? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, so do how do you move forward then? Where, where, where do you work to convince the party from the inside that these things matter, climate change, uh, LGBTQ2 rights, women's rights, and that until the party embraces them, wins aren't going to happen. So how, how do you work to make that a discussion within the party itself? I think you have to start by determining whether the party actually wants to win. And that probably sounds like a stupid thing to say, except there are a number of people who are involved in politics because they want a platform for their issue or issues. And they are less concerned about winning than they are about getting those issues in the window. And until the Conservative Party decides that we want to win, and that it's better to be in a position to get some of what we want rather than none of what we want, um, it ain't going to happen. And I'm not sure if, I like Aaron O'Toole, um, but I'm not, he's no Brian Mulroney. Um, and, he's, <laughs> and, he's, and he's no Stephen Harper. Um, he is he is too timid. He, you know, now he did fight back on climate change. I'll give him, I'll give him that. But the mistake, but he had no choice. Well, yeah. he had yeah. no choice. <laughs> um, I mean, it's either that or throw in the towel. But the other, the problem with that is the problem started before that motion got to the floor. That motion yeah. should have never got to the floor because it was a multi-tiered motion that had several action items in it of which only one small piece was acknowledging climate change and it was impossible for a delegate to vote against something else in that motion without voting against the whole thing it was a very badly worded motion and I'll tell you I've talked to a couple of people who were in Ottawa around the time I was Brian Mulroney would have never let that motion get to the floor um and in the in the unusual event that it did I'll tell you every every whip would have been pulled to make sure that that motion was defeated uh and and you would have voted for that motion on on the pain of Brian Mulroney uh with his one of his famous temper tantrums that scrapes the paint off the walls (laughs) a strong leader would have never allowed that motion to pass and that was Aaron. So Aaron had no, no choice but to repudiate the motion, but it never should have got there in the first place. And maybe that's old style politics. Maybe we don't like that kind of top down control anymore. But I'll tell you, it sure would have saved him a lot of trouble. Well, that top down control is happening in the Liberal Party. We've seen that as specifically with uh, their stance on if you don't support uh, reproductive rights for women yeah. don't even come knocking on our door and it's yeah. working for them. Yeah. So yeah. as much as, you know, sometimes I had a problem with Harper, Harper liked, he liked his leashes. He liked <laughs> a tight ship, but yeah. in the end, 
that paid off. When, when Harper said, we are not going to reopen the abortion debate, and then he stuck to it. That for me, that's, you know, I, I'm not a conservative, but thank you. Thank you for doing that. And unfortunately, I don't think we've seen a lot of that since his departure. It feels like the libertarian, the Ayn Rand uh, faction within the party is kind of steering the ship now. (laughs) And I'm not (laughs) sure what shore the ship ends Mm -hmm. up in on when that happens, right? Jen, what, what do you think absolutely needs to happen for the party to have any hope of beating Trudeau? Well, you know, I do agree with Susan on the, on the point of they really have to have the reality therapy to say, do we want to win? Uh, Do we want to win? Do we want to form government? And I think that there's an appetite for Canadians to really look at the cost of not having a compelling uh, opposition argument to, to Trudeau. Trudeau is a significant headwind coupling onto what Susan said. I think this is always the difference between America and Canada. America loves a hero. They love a hero candidate. It's always about strength and stamina. They love a hero candidate. Uh, we love a victim candidate. We love like, look at him try. Look at him try. He's trying. <laughs> We're going to get behind it. We're going to lift him so, up. That's essentially it. Canadian, right? It is. Like we're victims of our own humility and our own cheering for the underdog. Absolutely. We're like, you can do it. And even when he, when he does fumble, I take no pleasure in it. I'm just like, oh, come on. Like, I know that I know how bad you want this. You can, you'll get it. Don't worry. There's, there's a, there's a Rocky two and a Rocky three. Like we'll let you fight other people. Don't worry See, about you're um, better than me because I go, can you just take a seat and let Freeland do it now? Like, how? No. just go home, do yoga with your wife, I don't know, dress up with your kids and just let Freeland handle it. Let the record show that the most liberal person on this podcast has now made fun of how he dresses up. So <laughs> let, let the fit record officially show that. Um, but yeah, so I do think it's about, does you know, does he you know, do they want to win? And then it's about saying, how, how are we going to have a vision that's going to bring center spectrum conservatives to the table? But then it's also going to have to be about tentacles. It's going to have to be about how do we, how do we go out? How do we find great surrogates to represent the future of conservatism and, and prepare Canadians to have difficult conversations about what we're going to embrace and what we're going to let go and actually be able to tell the story about like where we're actually on tap. This was something I really discovered when I was working on the podcast on immigration, which everybody told me not to do because I'd be preemptively canceled. Listen, I I love, I love our, I I think our diversity is our strength. Please don't cancel me preemptively. Um, But when I, when I was doing the research, you realize that, you know, the majority of Canadians feel that we need to have a stronger focus on economy-driven immigration. And that's where the Conservative Party is. So to find those linkages and to be able to say like, hey, we're not this, this, this party of you know, hey, we have too many minorities. We're actually the party of, hey, we have ideas that are kind of in line with the attitudes of, of where Canadians are at as we look to welcome new people into this country. So I think you need a strong surrogate game. But none of this will matter until you change who is at the levers. Whoa. Lever. Yeah. None, of this will ever, <laughs> none of this will ever change until you address who holds the levers of power. Yeah. Right. Um, because so long- thing, it, If I can- if I can jump off on what you're saying there a little bit, and that is we also have to address the fact that millennials are now a larger voting block than baby boomers. Yes, they and are. Finally. And, <laughs> and if I go back again to, to knocking on doors in Calgary Center, a downtown riding that has a lot of millennials, 
if you actually talk to millennials, um, and many of us baby boomers would rather not, but if you do, you will discover that they are fiscally conservative and socially progressive people. Totally. Now, now, if I rack my brain, once upon a time, there was a political party that was fiscally conservative and socially progressive. They even called themselves that. And if they existed today, I believe millennials would be very attracted to that political party. Yep. Yeah. And the, and the PR person in me already sees those commercials where a young person sits on a stool and says, hi, I'm Brian. Hi, Brian. And I'm a conservative. And this is when I first realized I was a conservative. And I had to tell my parents I was a conservative. And like letting people self-identify as a conservative. I, I, you know, I see it in my mind already. Um, I, I am a millennial, I think. I think I fall into that, that category as, as a product of the 80s. But um, I... I totally get it. The amount of conversations that I have and I'm, I'm like, I am, I'm talking to a conservative who has not yet figured out that they are conservative. They are. That's right. Um, and so it if is a we remarkable are going thing. To win, if we are going to win, we have got to start talking to millennials. And right now we're not. And we, we have to get candidates that look like them on signs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you talked yeah. about campaigning for Greg McLean. No issue with Greg McLean. Greg McLean doesn't look like me. Greg McLean looks like everybody else in the House of Commons. Yeah. Where's the, <laughs> where's the campaign sign that looks strikingly like me? Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah. too, it's also, um, it's, it is that definition of conservative. And this, maybe this is a social media thing. I mean, I've, I've had these conversations off of it as well. But people are trying to figure out, well, what is a conservative? And, and you know, this, this whole thing about, well, progressive conservative, well, that's just an oxymoron. And it's like, okay. But the thing is that there are people who I will talk to who have like some, some background of, well, progressive conservative was someone who was both, you know, socially progressive and fiscally conservative, but you have people that have been hurt time and time again, because when somebody who claims to be fiscally conservative gets into office, the first thing they do is hurt vulnerable people yes. by cutting their funding. Yeah. And yeah. so like, this is something because I, I love language. I love language. I love to see how people are, are understanding these words and what these things mean to people. And it is so fan. It's fascinating in the world of politics here, because when people believe that this is the case, it really doesn't matter. You've already lost the narrative and you're not going to bring it back. And this is something I'm seeing as well with just simply conservative is that people are looking at it saying, well, does that make me X, Y, Z instead of A, B, and C? Like, I, I should have done that backwards. That would have been good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, but but it is, it's about, uh, it's about really being positive and I guess strong in your definitions and being able to define this is who we are as conservatives. And right now it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a narrative issue. Also, can the party just get better communication people? (laughs) Oh, come on. We're saying that about (laughs) every party though. It's an echo chamber. It's all yeah, the same. Like, yeah. look at what Kenny surrounded himself. It's all of the, the leftovers from everywhere else. It is like, <laughs> I've, I've said that, you know what? I, we have to talk about Ralph Klein here because I am owed an apology from the, go- the ghost of Ralph Klein. So when I, was, when I was in my undergrad, I remember saying, I went to Mount Royal College for my, for my PR undergrad. And I remember saying, all I want to do is work for Premier Klein. 
right? I'm a, I'm a kid from Alberta. I'm from TP Creek, Alberta. Like I want to work for Ralph Klein. And so I do an internship with Ralph Klein. And I remember flying with him from Edmonton to Calgary. Remember the good old days of Edmonton to Calgary flights on a little <laughs> government plane. And I remember saying, I'm going to graduate and I want to come and I want to be part of the government and I want to make a difference. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be a communicator, the best there ever was. And he said, are you crazy? Like that'll just be nothing but climax thinking. You have to go out into industry. You have to know what it means to be innovative. You have to go work for nonprofits and know what it's like to serve vulnerable populations and have real solutions with 55 cents. You got to go and figure out all of that and get all of your resources and then come back to the government and say, this is everything that I have to offer. I have practical experience. I have diverse experience and I'm very well educated. So go out and then come back. And I am owed an apology because I did exactly that. And now people like me can't crack in because we're not part of the inside core. They're like, where have you been? Yeah, Where you don't you want to be part of that inside core. All they do is attack. All they know how to do is attack. And this is the same in Edmonton as it is in Ottawa. I mean, I get the communications materials every day because, because I do some work uh, for people in the party. And it is nothing but attack. And then you look at good people like Michelle Rempel, who came up earlier in the conversation, and Candace Bergen and so on. And they are successful only when they attack. Yeah. And they're both smart women. Um, and yet they only get headlines when they attack. And that is one of the things about politics that absolutely has to change. And, and Deirdre said it earlier, it's only going to change when we get more women in leadership positions who understand that the better method of communications is to tell people what it is we believe in, what it is we stand for, what it is we will do if you elect us, instead of just telling us in telling everybody everything that's wrong with the other guy. And but that is question a fundamental that, problem in politics today, in my opinion. I love that. That's the soundbite. Totally. I totally agree. Yeah. So, so maybe like at a more cellular level, what does that mean for people like me? So if I don't belong in the leadership and I don't belong in the, in the, in, in the communications infrastructure and like, like how, how do I effectuate change? Like, is it, do I just keep doing the podcast? I guess so. Better <laughs> tell my dad to settle up. Like, where do I well, belong? We've got to find better solutions than that, uh, because otherwise we are going to, you know, we may as well go and find a home in Drumheller with the other skeletons, uh, because unless we can change the way we do politics, and by we, I'm talking about my party, but but I could broaden it to the other parties, because it's not just our problem. It is the other parties, too. It very much is. As someone who takes great pride in standing as a watchdog for my own first, and I will always do that, because I don't think anyone has a right to scream across the aisle if they're not willing to turn around and look at the benches behind them and call those guys out on their shit, too. And yet, if you try to do that now in our current political climate, you're labeled a traitor. You're not a true liberal. You're not a true conservative. You're not a true socialist. There's all these uh, these bars we have to reach that aren't doing anything to make the political climate a, a little more balmy. They're just causing more division. They're causing division within each party. And they're leaving far too many people out of the process because it only takes once to get, you know, really attacked by your own people. And you start thinking about maybe I don't belong here. Well, I always think about the experience of Pierre Polyev, 
right? Like, I think that that guy's a guy who inherently has the values of bringing people together. I think he does have it in him. I think if he and Michael Chong got together, they could they could they could be working across the aisle on a strategy with China. I think his understanding of of economics is a great explainer model for Canadians to be able to say, oh my God, okay, now I really understand how things like carbon taxing uh, affects me. But he's now just this single cell uh, pit bull. Yeah, and yeah. it it will be to the detriment of his political career and to the party as a whole. He's not even it's so a disappointing to watch. He's not even a pit bull, though, Jen. He's like um, those little terriers. Those little <laughs> Jack Russell. Yeah. Jack Russell. But his job is, to, is to break things up. His job is to now break things apart. You see him yeah. in committee meetings, and it's now it's now to break things apart and to create conflict when I think inherently his his infrastructure has the ability to, to, to bring people together and to be on side. I think he's a very persuasive person, and I think that that... that in inherent ability has been wasted now. Well, it is. And that's because that's how you get headlines in politics. And getting headlines in politics is how you succeed in politics, because you break through the incredible clutter. Um, and and so the system itself is not helpful. Uh, but somewhere along, and I don't know what the answer is, and uh, maybe it's the millennial generation that's going to have to insist on change, uh, because we can't keep going the way we are yeah. and speaking of going i'm going to have to segue yes <laughs> i was watching and, and i'm, I'm listening timing. to you guys yeah <laughs> no that was that was absolutely fantastic uh susan thank you so much for joining us and uh yeah this feels like a conversation that went by way way too quickly didn't it <laughs> thank you jen like a pleasure to meet both of you thank you for Again, coming into the lion's den and and sharing time with us and sharing your thoughts with us. I know that it's not easy to uh, have open discussion when you feel like you're walking into someone else's playpen. (laughs) I thought this was very fair. So thank you very much for having me. I think we did good. I think we all did good. We did. Mm -hmm.